Hello and welcome to another episode of Schlock Tactics, the movie podcast where we believe badder is better and aim to review the Toby Hooper Howlers so that you don't have to. My name is Ash and I'm joined once again by Mark. Oh hi Mark. Good evening. And today as you can imagine we are talking about the films of Toby Hooper. Um, but not anything classic like Texas Chainsaw Massacre or uh, Poltergeist. We're talking about the three films that he was contracted to direct uh, by Canon Films, Golan and Globus Canon Films, notorious schlockers of the uh, the 80s. Before we get into that, I mentioned the last episode that we did. It was uh, Surely You Can't Be Serious, a Paulie Shaw special, Double Bill, uh, where we did uh, Son-in-Law and one of my favourite 90s idiotic comedies biodome as well so uh, if you have a fondness for Paulie Shaw or just really dumb brainless uh, comedies from the 90s go back and check out the last episode that we did but today like I say we are talking about Toby Hooper uh, the famous horror director who in the 80s uh, was given an enormous amount of money by Canon Films who'd made uh, their money on Chuck Norris uh, films and uh, Death Wish sequels and all sorts of things. Um, so he was basically allowed to do what he wanted. And I've no doubt that he was off his face on all sorts of uh, drugs, as were probably the people in the film. I imagine so, yeah. As were everyone in the 80s in Hollywood. <laughs> so that you, what you got was uh, three pretty berserk films, that being Life Force, uh, Invaders from Mars, and The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Uh, first of all, uh, we're going to talk about Life Force from 1985. This uh, is actually an adaptation of a book called The Space Vampires by a guy called Colin Wilson. Pretty loose adaptation, I believe. <laughs> he he wasn't really too happy with the finished product. And I did read a quote from this said, Well, at least there was lots of uh, full frontal nudity. <laughs> 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 Which is... Maybe one of the better things about the film, uh, depending on which way you look at it. Canon films are two Israeli cousins called uh, Golan and Globus. Uh, very rich uh, Israeli guys that um, were fans of sort of B-movies and schlocky action movies. So they, at one point in the mid-80s, they were cranking out something like 40 films a year or something Whoa. like that. Something insane, so... They had money to burn, at least at least at this time, in the mid-80s. Just make as many films as possible. <laughs> yeah. So they thought, well, let's do a big-budget kind of sci-fi action film. It'll be like Star Wars. It'll be like uh, Aliens, you know. Mm. Um, and uh, reportedly, they gave Toby Hooper $25 million and said, do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> so he did. And I think you can kind of see that th throughout. Movie. It was co-written by Dan O'Bannon, who many people know as the writer of the original Alien film. Uh, also Dark Star, the John, John Carpenter's first film. And in the very same year, Dan O'Bannon uh, wrote and directed Return of the Living Dead, which has got a lot of similarities to, to Life Force in it. So so yeah, we um, <clears throat> we open up here exactly as you expect, in outer space. It looks like Star Wars. The font looks like Star Wars. Yeah, Everything looks similar. like the score is like Star Wars. <laughs> so yeah, it's nineteen eighty five, and people are, are still trying to uh, trying to ape Star Wars. Obviously, Turkey is still trying to ape Star Wars <laughs> at this point. We've we've covered that on our uh, our, our Turkish uh, Star Wars episode. If you go back in the archives, but um, the ship here is called HMS Churchill. <clears throat> so it's sort of a joint American British uh, outer space uh, adventure. They're following Halley's comet. And there's some massive object uh, in outer space. It's 150 miles long, is all we know. 
Um, so we need to go check this out. Uh, a bunch of astronauts kind of just start floating into outer space and like shooting their jets, so they go flying throughout space. Um, as soon as you get inside this alien spaceship, it looks exactly like anything you've seen in Alien or Aliens. It's all H.R. Giger influenced, uh, ripped off by the guy that wrote Alien, so that's fine, I suppose. <laughs> There's uh, all these sort of petrified giant bat people who uh, they say are completely desiccated. We see the space vampires of the of the title of the novel, uh, nude, completely nude. One woman, two males. Interestingly, uh, you'll notice throughout the film, tits galore, fanny galore, not a todger inside. <laughs> no, they just not focus at all. on them. They completely do anything to avoid showing you a penis, um, which is your first indication that this film is made by massive sexists. Yeah. Here we see our uh, character who was only ever credited as Space Girl, beautiful Matilda May, one of her first film roles. She didn't speak English at all. She learned to speak English by doing this film. Oh, cool. The astronauts immediately start perving on her. She's definitely humanoid. <laughs> I tell you what, I've been in outer space for about eight months and... Uh, Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I think we should take her back to the to the ship. It's like, oh my god, it gets rapey very immediately. Yeah, human men. Yeah, in a, in, in instantly given their sort of rightfully bad reputation <laughs> all across the universe, not just on planet Earth. They want to rape aliens as soon as they meet them. Um, great. Space aliens end up back on Earth and being quarantined. As soon as she's put into quarantine, a guard. Starts trying to rape her as well. Starts trying to touch her up. (laughs) Men cannot be trusted in this film. There's a lot of euphemisms in this film where men have uh, encounters with the space girl and afterwards they say something like, it was uh, the power she had was amazing. The uh, the atmosphere I felt I was under. Any of those words are only ever euphemisms for what a cracking pair of tits. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had, had a hard on the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> What he means. So um, she 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 sucks him, but not in the way he'd like. She sucks his energy out of him and mummifies him. This is the first of many of these sequences where the space aliens just sort of come up to you and like a lightning comes out of your face. And she starts wandering around this sort of um, military facility. There's a great scene where it's a guard sitting at his desk and you see the silhouette of her tits enter the shop before yeah. she does. <laughs> I mean, Matilda May's tits should win some sort of award here. They're, they're their own character. They're their own um, entity. Here. <laughs> um, there's lots of people wandering about while sort of cockney working class guards go, why, have you seen that girl naked? She's not, there's no naked girl you're having me on. Oh, oh, no, no. oh my God, oh bloody hell, oh, God, blimey. There's a guard trying to coax her down the stairs by sort of waving a, a biscuit at her. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. She eventually explodes the windows of the facilities and just wanders off. Uh, they call in um, the big wig here, Colonel Kane, played by English actor Peter Firth. He starts asking around, like, well, what's what's going on with this, this girl, this alien girl then? And uh, again, one of the guys says, she was overwhelmingly feminine. <laughs> it was horrible. And he says, can you excuse me? I need to have a lie down. So anyone that's seen this girl naked needs medical attention <laughs> and needs to have a good, a good lie down or a big wank you know, <laughs> at, at the very least. The two male vampires wake up. Uh, as I say, not a not a glimpse of a cock 
at all. Um, anything, it's like, <laughs> is it Austin Powers or something like that where he's naked and there'll be like a, a, a science beaker in front of him and then yeah. he'll move around and there'll be like a cup of tea. It was, it's like that. It's like there's a shard of glass. There's a, a, a barrier, a railing, like anything to avoid gone out of their way to yeah. make sure a phallus isn't in shot the whole time yeah regardless of, of however however many things are phallic in this <laughs> you'll not see an actual phallus they perform an autopsy on the guard <clears throat> here's where you start to see the really great um special effects practical special effects in this so like i say it's very similar to the effect in um return of the living dead where it's it's sort of animatronic puppets who are sort of all wizened and withered and they sort of come to life and their eyes start looking around and it looks really really cool yeah I did read that of the 25 million, a, a good chunk was spent on special effects mm. and not much on actors. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy with that ratio, to be honest. Who needs actors? <laughs> Creature steals the energy from the the, the, uh, the doctor doing the autopsy, so you get another one of these sequences where lightning is being sucked out of the eye sockets and the mouth and it goes into the other person and he comes back to life. So this is all sort of like energy swapping um, concept here where mm. if if you're like a mummified corpse you're going to wake up in two hours you then need to immediately suck energy from someone that's alive and then you can kind of carry on but then you have to pass it on it's this weird kind of it's a virus but also you need to feed like a vampire yeah there's this weird kind of mix between virus and vampirism and they can't really decide what what they want to do the space girl has obviously escaped and she um she attacks a girl in a park Again, leaves a sort of withered corpse behind, just lying in the, in the park naked. Um, two sort of teenage Cockney guys again. They're like, "Oh, we saw, we saw the the girl who did this. She was alright as well. She was a nice looking bird, like you know." So we thought we'd follow her in the park and see what she was up to. Again, fucking <laughs> sexual criminals yeah. here, like uh, uh, trying to assault a, a naked woman. Are there any good males in this? <laughs> yeah, not really. <clears throat> <laughs> all, all Peter Firth can say when he sees the withered naked corpses. Oh, now she has clothes. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> he seems uh, he seems disappointed. Uh, Colonel Tom, Tom Carlson, uh, original crew or maybe captain of the HMS Churchill from the beginning of the film. He finally returns to Earth. Like maybe seems like a week later <laughs> um, in his escape pod. Get him over to London ASAP and find out what he knows about what happened on the Churchill. Dr. Falada asks him if he's ever been hypnotised. He says no. He's like, well, I'd like to have a go at it. <laughs> so, okay, fine. Um, so there's a suggestion that Carlson has some sort of telepathic link to the space girl. He can see what she's doing now. Mm. And more importantly, he can see the body that she's sort of switched into because she's now left the body of the Matilda May actress and she's now someone else. So he's able to see that she's changed into sort of a, a ginger woman wearing a bin bag, wandering around the countryside, <laughs> who seduces a farmer, gets in his car, and sort of just pulls her bin bag up a bit and shows him her, her thighs. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's what the, that's what Space Girl's up to at the moment. Finally, we get Patrick Stewart here about, oh, maybe 45 minutes into the film. Um, I think that you, what you, Dr. Armstrong here, by what I can only describe as a young Patrick Stewart, even though he's probably still 50, I've just never seen him younger than this. Yeah. I, if, if anyone listening can send us a picture of Patrick Stewart younger than he is in Life Force, I'd love to yeah, see it. Yeah, he does I've, look young. I've never, ever seen him look younger than this. <laughs> and he looked really fucking old in this. <laughs> 
So there he is, lending his Shakespearean um, clout to this film, a proper actor. Carlson and uh, Kane managed to track down the uh, the ginger woman. And this, this is perhaps the most sort of misogynist part of the film. They visit here and Carlson, who I, I think Carlson is the bad guy in this film, completely. Mm. I don't think the space vampires are the villains. I think this <laughs> fucking... American guy Carlson is the is the real antagonist here because he yeah. just he visits this woman. He starts slapping her about as soon as he comes through the door, and then one of my favorite lines of the film: "This woman is a masochist." <laughs> and then he says, "Oh, but the space vampire has left this body. Why? Why are you battering her? <laughs> you just wanted to punch a woman." He says to Kane, "Like you know, you might want to leave. You know, this is going to get a bit violent." And he says, "No, I, I'm a voyeur. I'll watch." <laughs> So, a man assaults a woman who is not in any way possessed by a space vampire while another man watches for, for sexual gratification. That's what we're dealing with here. It's far worse than the vampires themselves. <laughs> yeah. I'd hate to be fucking in a room with these guys, like, yeah. Jesus. Um, but then there's a bit of a swerve and it turns out that um, Carlson already knows that um, Dr. Armstrong, Patrick Stewart, is, is one of the vampires. He's been um, possessed, so... They sort of inject him with loads of hypnotic drugs, I think they refer to them as. <laughs> um, Patrick Stewart does some sort of Shakespearean wailing here while he's um, succumbing to the sedatives. <laughs> One of the weirdest scenes in the film. Um, Patrick Stewart is strapped down and um, Space Girl is talking through him. So he's speaking and, and Matilda May's voice is coming out. And it'll switch from Patrick Stewart being strapped down to a naked woman being strapped down <laughs> and back again. Obviously gave me some some strange feelings towards Patrick Stewart for, for a little while here. It says something like, I am the feminine in your mind, Carlson. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you if you look at the trivia for this film, this is largely credited as Patrick Stewart's first on-screen kiss. <laughs> um, Dr. Armstrong and um, Carlson kissing here. So there you go. That's a good bit of trivia for you. Uh, as this kiss is happening, a sort of hurricane occurs around them, like lasers are going off, newspapers flying everywhere, <laughs> bedlam. Um, one of the orderlies op- sort of opens the door and it's like, what the hell is going on in here? Um, it's very comedic. Um, as this is all sort of going on, um, Kane gives like a, a double injection to the neck of Patrick Stewart <laughs> to try and sedate him. It's like two fucking needles either side of the neck. Um, and that seems to do the trick for now. They managed to get Patrick Stewart onto the helicopter. They're heading towards Westminster, we find out now. Mm. Kane says to the helicopter pilot, can you call the SRC? We need to talk to them. And the helicopter pilot says, hang on, I've got something coming through. It's the SRC, they want to talk to you. (laughs) Why? Why not choose one or the other? Why have both? Um, (laughs) Oh, oh, good, good. I wanted to talk to them. It seems like um, two pages got stuck together. How did you know I wanted to talk to them? (laughs) (laughs) Either two pages are stuck together or one page has fallen out uh, of the script here, but it's quite weird. Um, This is Dr. Falada, who's gone slightly mad. I don't think he's left the facility from the beginning of the film. He's just stayed there. He said, I've killed one of the male vampires. He said, how did you do that? And he said... The old way. <laughs> yeah, okay, what is the old way? A giant lead sword. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, he uses he, he pronounces the word creatures here several times yeah. with, with much hilarity. <laughs> the creatures! <laughs> if he's ta- talking to Carlson, he addresses Carlson, starts talking and then stops halfway through his sentence. 
Carlson, can you hear me, Carlson? He's like, yes, yes, go on. He's like, okay, I'll go on then. Um, so, Carlson, Carlson. Yes, I'm listening. I'm listening to you. What the fuck is wrong with you? Go on, tell me about the old ways. Um, so this guy's fucking lost it. Uh, after they hang up the phone. Um, the corpse of Patrick Stewart starts projectile bleeding out of his eyes and mouth. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, yeah, this is It's weird. just like mannequin of Patrick Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it sort of forms like a, a blood hologram in front of them, which mm. vaguely forms the shape of Space Girl and then collapses into a puddle. It's a bit surreal. I, know what the f- I don't know what the fuck this was for. <laughs> no. um, coming into the home stretch here, we, we get into the centre of London, and yes, it is the apocalypse. London has experienced the apocalypse. There are zombies, nuns, overturned cars. Yeah, burning buildings. Newspapers everywhere. It's a yeah. clear sign of the apocalypse. Um, suitcases, wheelchairs, quite a lot I noticed <laughs> as well. Just bedlam here. Lots of miniature buildings on fire. <laughs> they, they go to this compound and there's loads of army people and they talk about how it's now a virus. Um, we need to contain all of London. It's like 28 days later. Uh, Carlson goes some fucking gibberish exposition about people's souls being sucked up into outer space. It feels like this could be the film just starting again and like now now we're going to yeah. do this. It's just like they're not wrapping anything up here. Yeah, there's no plot progression or sort of no. conclusion or anything. <laughs> it's fucking full steam ahead. Yeah. Carlson and Kane sort of drive into the epicenter. Everything explodes as usual. And then uh, Carlson and Space Girl sort of start fucking, really, in the <laughs> cathedral. They're both naked. There's the, some heavy petting going on. One of my favourite lines in the film is uh, Carlson saying, What are these feelings? What is this doing to me? Why do I feel this way? Just like, real real out loud... Um, Stage directions. Yeah. Like <laughs> I don't think you meant to read this bit. What am I feeling? How, how am I feeling? What are these feelings? All sorts of fucking nonsense. And then they get sort of sucked up. All the while, Kane sort of waving around the uh, the big lead sword. He chucks it down, and and Carlson impales both of them like a kebab. Um, <laughs> gets sucked up into the giant umbrella dick spaceship, and then they shoot off into outer space. The end. That's it. Life force, what a what a berserk, nightmarish, uh, fever dream. What were your overall impressions of life force? Mark? Well, it was uh, certainly interesting. Um, it was quite entertaining. It's pretty funny, um, but I feel like a lot of the humour either came from very wooden dialogue yeah. or um, just ridiculous misogyny, which just yeah. kind of was a bit too much at times. Yeah, a film made by dirty old men. Yeah, for dirty old men. Um, I actually thought some of the um, the animatronic bodies and stuff were yeah. actually looked pretty cool. Yeah, um, a lot of the budget. Quite up enjoyed went. that. I quite enjoyed, even though it looked ridiculous, that bit where the bleeding mannequin <laughs> thing was happening i quite enjoyed watching that it's probably tricky um, to achieve that yeah yeah but yeah it's um the plot was kind of daft yeah <laughs> um, base vampires they originally wanted to call vampires. it space vampires yeah and they thought it wouldn't be taken seriously yeah um so they renamed it life force it was uh <laughs> it was entertaining and uh and very schlocky yeah, yeah, it's perfect for this podcast, yeah. really. I've, I've known I've wanted to, to review this film for a, a long time. Uh, I first saw this at the uh, Bristol Bad Film Club. Shout out to those guys. 
they put on a screening of this in a planetarium, a massive mm. silver globe in uh, in Millennium Square in Bristol, and uh, about well, 50 or so people all packed into it in the middle of the summer, and I was there and uh, wide-eyed and sort of... It's very original, it's very ambitious. Um, not seen anything really exactly like this before. It mimics, obviously, Alien and stuff like that, and it kind of feels a little bit like a hammer horror at times as well. Tits and vampires, mainly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's all the stuff I like, really. Just it turned up to 11, for sure. It's, it's, it's so over the top. Maybe it would have been good to have a, 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 a female lead, I mean, apart from Space Girl, that is. One that talked and wasn't nude all the yeah. time. That, that, I think, would have been good. Maybe someone in authority. Yeah. Um, but no, it's a fucking mad film. Um, watch it. Watch it with a few beers. Watch it with your friends. Watch it on acid, if you dare. If you dare. Um, but yeah, Life Force is a hell of a ride. And that was, the, that was the first film that Toby Hooper made for canon. And they were delighted, actually. Oh, good. And so next, we kind of um, we bring it down... Quite a lot. <laughs> we calm things down quite a lot here with a much more sedate film. Still sci-fi, still aliens. Um, but this is 1986's Invaders from Mars. Uh, remake of the film from the 50s of the same name that I suppose Toby Hooper was a fan of himself. Uh, this follows in the sort of the, the trend in the late 70s and early 80s of the sort of new batch of horror directors remaking the sci-fi films that they loved in the 50s. So Invasion of the Body Snatchers and The Thing and The Fly, The Blob. Again, this is uh, Dan O'Bannon writing. Uh, Stan Winston did all the special effects for this one. I think not so long ago, I think on our HG Wells episode, we talked about the visual uh, practical effects for both the Isle of Dr. Moreau and the Time Machine. So mm -hmm. we're, we're back with Stan Winston again uh, for Invaders from Mars. Our uh, protagonist in this film, uh, David Gardner terrible child actor I've maybe ever seen <laughs> annoying little fuck uh, from, from the get go I couldn't wait for him to be in peril or uh, traumatised in some way you'll definitely remember this character's name because the number of times the <laughs> teachers David, David, David Gardner <laughs> David Gardner <laughs> David Gardner is, is stargazing in the garden with his uh, dad George and his mum Ellen sort of middle class suburbia Bit of a poltergeist feel again to this one. Quite an ambling feel like Spielberg. We don't fuck about here. We're, I think we're... In the first six minutes, the alien spaceship <laughs> descends um, over the hill. Over, I think it's called Copper Hill. And David Gardner's like, holy shit, there's aliens. <laughs> mum, dad, mum, dad, there's aliens. They just landed over there. And by the time the parents come in, there's nothing. And Oh, you've got quite an imagination, David. David Gardner, David. <laughs> The next morning, Dad goes to check out the spaceship over the hill and comes back again. He says, yeah, it's absolutely fine. Nothing's wrong here. And he's he's acting strange and wooden, yeah. which isn't massively weird in these films, <laughs> but um, you get the impression it's meant to be wooden for, yeah. for once. He's got a strange sort of um, wound in the back of his neck, which David notices. He puts excessive sweeteners in his coffee. <laughs> So look out, people, uh, in your office. If you see someone doing that, it could be a sign. They must have been abducted. Yeah, um, but more telling is the is the way he um, necks his scalding hot coffee <laughs> in like half a minute. Um, we're introduced to uh, really the, the protagonist, apart from David, who is uh, Linda, the nurse, the school nurse, uh, played here again equally terribly by uh, Karen Black who is, is quite a veteran she's got hundreds of credits to her name but she was fucking awful in this as well <laughs> Karen Black the real life mother of 
the actor that plays David here. Oh, okay. You'd think they'd Didn't have some that. sort of chemistry with each other, <laughs> you know, as if they've sort of known each other all their lives. Um, but no, she sends David home because he complains of a tiny wound on his finger or something like that. So he goes home, and what does he do when he goes home? He sits in the living room and watches Life Force on the telly. Um, it's a bit of a sort of trope in uh, in films like... Um, in Halloween, the, the little kids watching the thing, like the fifties thing on the telly. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, but in this one, he's watching the film that came out like the previous year. Been televised quickly. Um, <laughs> I just wrote here, alien or bad actor, <laughs> which is, I think, a good summary of this film. Um, his dad takes his mum sort of over the hill to uh, to the where the spaceship has landed. David just sort of squints and looks into the camera and goes. Mum. <laughs> um, I did note there was some good sound in this film. Mm. Lots of like whooshing noises and like heartbeat noises and kind of like quite atmospheric alien noises. I thought whoever did the sound did a, a really good job. Even though you're looking at a suburbia, but you've got these weird, slightly alien and disconcerting sort of. Yeah. The way that his mum is shown to be uh, an alien is by burning the bacon. (laughs) (laughs) And his dad just eats it. Uh, Maybe I'm reading into it too much, but I thought maybe this was... um, The most unpatriotic thing you could do as an American would be to burn bacon (laughs) and then to, like, eat it and enjoy it. Like, they can't be real American humans. They have to be aliens. (laughs) I don't know, maybe. Uh, The mum is eating a raw burger with salt on top. Um... (laughs) He walks in on one of his teachers eating a frog. <laughs> That's how she's shown to be an alien, you know. It's quite quite simple stuff. Um, but Linda, the nurse, rescues him. Uh, he tells her all about the spaceship landing, his parents being possessed, etc., etc. And, and she basically does a, a classic Tommy Wiseau, what a story! <laughs> he ends up running away, but accidentally climbing into the van of a teacher who's going to the hillside anyway. <laughs> Whether that's deliberate or not, I'm, I'm not really sure. Go look at the spaceship set, which is really great. I thought actually great in a way that the spaceships weren't in Life Force. It looked more original. It was like they'd landed in a in a copper sort of mine area, so the spaceship seemed to look like that as well. It had lots of like brass and copper colorings on it and stuff. I thought the spaceship set here was really good. Mm. Um, again, loads of weird sounds, whooshing and heartbeats and stuff like that. And then you finally see what the aliens actually look like, and I think they looked really good. I also thought that they all looked like some sort of testicles in in one way or another. Um, You have the sort of foot soldiers, who are these giant kind of, uh, how would you describe them, like frogs on stilts kind of things. And then the the sort of head Martian sort of unveils himself, and he looks exactly like Krang from the Ninja Turtles, uh, but before Krang existed. So they're, they're ahead of their time here. He just looks like this sort of pickles bollock. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like a, a brain testicle thing mm. with these sort of massive eyes that have like um, cat's eyes pupils but two of them in each in each eyeball which look kind of great really great practical effects here again the best thing about this film same as life force is the the effects on these aliens they looked amazing you don't see much of them you don't see enough of them certainly um, but they notice David in a spaceship, so he has to escape again. Um, they hide out in the school for a bit, and they're discovered by the kind of police. But the police are also aliens, so it's this sort of body snatchers vibe. It's not as good as body snatchers, but there's the the idea that even the people in authority are also aliens. Nobody's safe. Um, don't trust anyone. That kind of um, McCarthyism 
uh, paranoia, um, which I don't know if it was in the original film, um, but certainly, certainly the whole idea of the invasion of the body snatchers was was you know a me- metaphor for for communists. You yeah. Know, the red, the reds coming down <laughs> here. <laughs> Martians equals communists huh. basically. I noticed at this point his dad George works at for NASA. It was yeah. wasn't really um, mentioned until quite late into no. the film. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's probably quite relevant. An alien dick drill comes out of the ground here when they're in the um, in the school. That's all I can use to describe it. Oh, we actually do get a great actor here called James Caron. He was the douchey real estate guy from Poltergeist who. Uh, only moves the headstones of the graveyard and not the corpses. <laughs> and he was in Return of the Living Dead as a, a more um, wholesome character. Uh, but he's a great um, sort of horror character actor, James Caron. He plays a guy called General Wilson here. He plays a sort of standard military role here. But um, what you do find with the military in this film is that they're, they're quite um, quite reasonable. Um, they're quite happy to listen to any theories from yeah. this child about... In invaders from Mars and they're like okay this is interesting maybe we should look into this like, this never happens in any other film they're they, like, they, get, get out of it they know? immediately agree to like show him their necks and stuff because he's like well, show me your necks and they're like yeah because okay. that's how you'd know yeah. if someone was taken and then, like, yeah. and then they yeah. it's very open minded military yeah. people <laughs> I was like okay yeah we can we can get behind this we understand what you're yeah, about it's you quite random little kid quite refreshing I suppose <laughs> This like truck rigged with explosive blows up a space shuttle, like sabotaging NASA's base exploration. Army kind of cracks down here on the town. Uh, they all sort of uh, pile into the underground tunnels. These get these sort of scientists here as well. Who you know, we come in peace, everybody, and then this one of the testicle soldiers uh, uses his sort of disintegration ray gun that he sort of keeps on his shoulder. It's got pew, pew. Um, people at this time. You see how people are getting. Um, sort of converted like an army man gets like a big like injection into the back of the neck that's him implanted with martian stuff i Mm. guess david tries to reason with the giant brain testicle thing again military's kicking off storms the place the brain sort of lifts up off its pedestal and kind of withdraws into a hole (laughs) so you can see it's like a testicle on on a giant like dick (laughs) again phallic phallic, um symbolism in in all these films Mm -hmm. Everything explodes. David flails wildly and moans. That's all I've got. <laughs> and the spaceship takes off. And then this film does about the worst fucking thing you can do that any film can do. Yeah. David wakes, wakes up. up and it was all a fucking dream. I felt like, what, the what fuck a waste was that? of time. Yeah. I mean, no, this should be fucking illegal. This is, oh, I don't know how to conclude the script <laughs> territory. Like they didn't know what to do. You just cannot do that. It's no. just unforgivable. You cannot do that in a film, a TV show, anything. You can never. It should be completely illegal to to, to do. It was all a dream. Yeah. Uh, it's just fucking. It, yeah. This film was already shit, but it becomes even more shit from all being a dream and nothing mattering. And why? Why have I just wasted my time watching this? Film? It made me want to throw my laptop at the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Um, apparently this is how the original film ended but all the more reason to not do it again (laughs) you've got a chance to improve upon that why why squander that Um, I suppose when you think back on a lot of it you know it's I guess there were clues there like the the sound effects the heartbeat and stuff that was maybe a clue people telling him he had a wild imagination and him being sort of a hero in the story I, I suppose you could see it coming in a sense and maybe it was by design but 
He thinks he sees the spaceship descending again. I don't give a fuck at this point. Yeah. Just, just roll the credits. <laughs> Burst in on his parents. We don't want a sequel. Just forget it. Freeze frame and that's it. So there you go. <laughs> what were your overall thoughts of Invaders from Mars? Overall, I quite enjoyed it. I know it's a fairly... Um, it's been done many times, the whole everyone's... Uh, everyone's one of them everyone's against you you're not going to find anyone that's on your side but i quite enjoyed that and the fact that he managed to actually get the nurse on his side and they were like against everyone and the army um yeah yeah. impressive but the yeah the army came later though so that's that's what i mean is is that what is that maybe a hint that it was a dream because in reality the army would never side yeah delusional 10 year old yeah Maybe we, at that point we should have been, hang on, is this a dream? But, um, Aliens are fine, but <laughs> <laughs> the army working with you, that's never going to happen. I mean, uh, in a film called Invaders from Mars, I, I take uh, you know I take the, the aliens as a given. Yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe we should have known this was all going to be a dream. Yeah, I thought the aliens looked pretty cool. Yeah. I liked their little lair. And his dad tries <laughs> to explain it away as well, doesn't he, by when his son wakes up and he says, oh, the aliens landed in the copper mine. That's probably because you sleep next to a bag of um, pennies next to your bed. Yeah. What? <laughs> so what? <laughs> I think even twist aside, I would say this is a fairly poor film, mainly because the, the two leads are just the worst fucking <laughs> actors I've seen in a long time. Maybe two of the worst actors we've talked about on this show, I would say. Hmm. Um, Karen Black and whoever plays this fucking David Gardner character, they're just completely stiff and wooden he he undersold everything and she oversold everything massively there was no meeting in the middle between them they were on two completely different fucking planes the whole time he was just wooden going oh there's aliens over there and she'd look and go oh my fucking god there's aliens over there it's like none of it could be taken seriously or or invested i mean i'm glad i didn't invest too much because it was all for nothing anyway (laughs) but um yeah, this is a, ma- a massive step down from Life Force, I think, you know, and they were, tr- they were trying to obviously do something a bit more sedate and a bit more um, localised, you know, a small town kind of uh, gets taken over by Martians, but Invaders from Mars, the second in the Hooper Cannon trilogy. <laughs> Golan and Globus were not pleased with this and they felt that Toby Hooper had misled them. Uh. In what way? I don't know. <laughs> but there was still a third film to be made. <laughs> So, if there's still a third film to be made, what are we going to do? Well, Toby Hooper's going to go back to what made him a world-famous director in the first place, what gave him his reputation. Classic 1974 horror film, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He's going to do a sequel to The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm -hmm. Twelve years later, we're going to get a sequel here. So, um, I mean, for me, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, one of my absolute favourites, probably my top three, top five horror films ever. Are you familiar with uh, yes. the original? Yeah, I've seen the original probably a handful of times. Yeah. Um, I really like it. It's great. Um, super lo-fi, super yeah. indie, like just feels nasty all the way through. I just feel like it, they got away with just not following kind of film conventions. It's just kind yeah. of manic all the way through. They didn't really need... And the great thing about the original film is that there's no blood at all in it. It got a real hard rating because of the sort of topics and the cannibalism and the mm. grave robbing and such like that, but there's not actually any gore at all in it. You yeah. don't see a drop of blood, but you feel like you have. It avoids gore very impressively for a film that's got massacre in the title. <laughs> um, so that that was the skill of the first one. So Toby Hooper, he goes the other way here. There's a famous uh, quote. Um, Mark Commode brings it up a lot. I'm not sure if, it, if, it, if it's his or if it's someone else's, but... The quote is that um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 
looks like it was directed by not only someone who hadn't made the original Texas Chainsaw, but by someone who hadn't seen the original <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I think that sums it up perfectly, really. Yeah. Um, it is a sequel. It does pick up roughly where we left off. It is a parody. It is It is a lot of things, really. But like I say, this is the third in the canon trilogy here. Um, <laughs> and this time they got Tom Savini to do the special effects, which is uh, impressive. Tom Savini... Possibly the most the most famous horror uh, special effects guy did all the Living Dead uh, stuff, Maniac, um, Dust of Dawn, all sorts of um, special effects. Tom Savini. We get a, a sort of recap uh, or sort of a, re, a redo of the um, the original crawl from the original film, where it's sort of meant to be like a local news uh, bulletin mm. on that day in the summer of uh, blah yeah. blah blah, you know, and the. These these are true true events you're about to see, so yeah, less convincing in this one. But yeah. um, this this whole sort of idea that you're going to see some true things that actually happened, and we go straight from the sort of psycho um, strings into some '80s jazz funk. <laughs> so that's the sort of sign that we are, uh, you know, we're not in '74 anymore. There's these sort of young idiots driving around in Texas shooting things mm. out of the window <laughs> shooting road signs <laughs> yeah classic youth, youthful uh, behavior and then we're introduced to our uh, protagonist here who is stretch she's the uh, the local radio dj and she plays some sort of red river rock and roll repeat program <laughs> something like that there's all sorts of acronyms here. I felt like a lot of this you'd have to live in the in the area to understand what yeah. these jokes were. <laughs> the young idiots start playing chicken <clears throat> with another car on the road um, to see who will obviously turn off first. And then up, up alongside them pulls uh, a car which has got a sort of corpse on the top in a sort of army uniform. And then behind that corpse is Leatherface straight away. Mm. They're, they're getting Leatherface out there. <clears throat> Starts obviously waving his chainsaw about, as you'd imagine, and ends up fucking slicing off the top of one of their heads. Yeah. <laughs> the, these kids call in a few times into the radio station and start saying, you know, start swearing and stuff. And she's like, okay, guys, hang up. Hang up now. Your radio station, you're telling me you don't have the ability to cut someone yeah, off if they call I thought it. That was ridiculous. You have to get them to hang up, but if they don't, well, they can hold your program hostage. Seems... Your program will just go on forever. <laughs> I'm sure that's not how it works. So um, she accidentally records live on air some guy getting the top of his head sliced off with a chainsaw. And um, the morning after, we see uh, Dennis Hopper introduced. Uh, he's sort of skulking around the crime scene. He sort of dressed like a sheriff bit of a swerve then because the actual sort of policeman comes over and says can i help you <laughs> <laughs> we just we discover he's uh, called lieutenant enright or lefty, lefty and yeah. uh, there's some really tenuous link that he was related to one of the original kids that got killed yeah. 12 years ago the other the policeman um, like has a really forced bit of dialogue that makes you yeah. know what so his relationship force, is. Force the dots together, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's your very tenuous link of who this character is, and um, yeah, Dennis Hoppo's performance in this is is something else. <laughs> um, <laughs> but at the moment, he's perfectly calm. <laughs> he asks what happened here, and he, he said, "Oh, it was just an accident, just some kids." You know, kids going wild, basically. And Dennis Hopper says, well, he went so wild that he sawed his own head off. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so Lefty isn't really going to get any help from the police here, but that's fine. 
uh, Stretch sees in the newspaper that, uh, that this has happened and she visits Lefty. She was, somehow tracks him down. She says to Lefty, like, I've got the tape of them getting their heads sawn off. Do you want to listen to it? And he's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Dennis Hopper just talks to his own hand for a couple of minutes. I'm not sure why. <laughs> She's sent on an assignment to uh, cover a chili cook-off. Uh, probably quite a popular thing yeah. in Texas. I'm not sure how entertaining chili cooking is on radio. <laughs> <laughs> Initially, you're like, what does this have to do with anything? <laughs> so how does that work on radio? We're going we're gonna to put the microphone now to the chili and you can hear it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's good. That's good chili. And then I'm going <laughs> to taste it. Oh, it tastes good as well. All right, okay. So we realise this is all a, um, a MacGuffin to get the uh, the cook uh, reintroduced. This is the only yeah. uh, the only actor returning from the original film. Uh, Jim Sidow would be his last film. Actually, he's pretty old here. Fantastic scene here where Dennis Hopper goes to a chainsaw shop. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> he says, oh, "I'd like to buy a chainsaw. I'd like to buy a couple of chainsaws." Okay. <laughs> so he has two sort of mini ones. Um, like a handheld, I guess you could say, <laughs> so he can sort of dual wield them, like something from Doom. Or something. <laughs> and then he gets like a super long one, and he's like, "Do you mind if I try them out?" He's like, "Go ahead." And then he starts like massacring this log, <laughs> flailing around like mad. <laughs> and the guy who's like he's works in the shop, t- <laughs> you'd think he'd be like, "Whoa, like calm down," but he. <laughs> He doesn't give a shit. He's just loving it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> the guy that runs the shop is fucking getting a hard on watching Dennis Hopper beat the shit out of a log. He's not even like <laughs> sawing through the log. He's just like chopping at the side of it. He's like. taking lumps of bark off. Yeah, it's so it's weird. fucking mental. <laughs> Such a weird scene. <laughs> this is just normal in Texas. Like it's such a, a tradition there. Chainsaws, you know. I, perhaps this is meant to be satire, but I don't think so. Um, Stretch decides she's going to play the call of the kids getting their heads sawn off on the radio to see if she can sort of get some attention that way. This was another unusual decision. I thought that the cook is driving in his car. For some reason, he's got a car phone, even though he doesn't seem like the sort of character would even have a regular phone. <laughs> so while he's driving, his car phone goes off. He opens up like his briefcase, takes out his car phone, and it's one of his family members saying, they're playing the tape on the radio, and then they hold the f- their phone up to the radio so he can hear the radio yeah. through his car phone. Can someone explain to me why he didn't just turn his radio on <laughs> and, have, and listen to it that way? What's the purpose of this fucking massively convoluted way of him being able to hear the radio? <laughs> You're telling me it's more likely he'd have a car phone than a radio <laughs> tuned into the local station. It's mental decision. I Toby Hooper's losing it. <laughs> then Stretch is doing a late radio show at the station. And we're introduced to... Uh, Ke- Kind of the main main villain, I would say. The character here, Chop Top, uh, played by Bill Moseley, who people, many people will know from, from Rob Zombie's films, even in Devil's Rejects and House of a Thousand Corpses, pretty much everything that Rob Zombie does. So this was uh, Bill Moseley's first film. Now, this confused me for many years because originally I always thought that this was the hitchhiker that got ran over at the end of the first film and then he had a, a plate installed in his head. Mm. And that's this character now. But apparently it's the twin brother of the hitchhiker and the corpse that they're always holding up and dancing with in the army uniform. That is the hitchhiker that got killed. Okay. So I don't know why he's got a metal plate in his head. That's yeah. that's never explained in that case. 
but he does have a metal plate, and he's also dressed like he's from the 60s. He's dressed, oh, he says it's his Sonny Bono wig. He's constantly heating up a coat hanger so he can put it on his scar tissue on his head. It's kind of gross. He's very insane. I don't know how much of this is written for him or it's just him making this up, but it, this character is, it is mad. It's good. She sort of walks in on him just sitting there and like, oh my God, what the fuck are you? <laughs> um, he's like, oh, I'm a big fan of your show. You know, I love music. Um, can you give me a tour? So she's like, okay, really quick tour. This is a desk. This is a phone. There's the exit. <laughs> and then there's a sequence that lasts maybe about a minute and a half where she says, good night. He says, good night. <laughs> Good night then. A good night. <laughs> no, good night. Good night. Oh, just, come on. <laughs> yeah, get, I don't understand why that. Get on with it. I don't, they're like playing for time for some reason, mm-hmm. but inevitably it leads to Leatherface bursting out of the sort of record cupboard um, and scaring the shits out of out of everyone. Actually, got me this this jump scare. I've seen this <laughs> film a few times and it got me. <laughs> he starts chasing Stretch all across the radio station. She gets locked in a room. Leatherface, doing, you know, whoever played Leatherface here is doing a pretty good kind of uh, approximation of, of the character from the first film. Lots of flailing about, a sort of massive baby, essentially. Yeah. Uh, the mask, I thought, looked great here. You can see yeah. very clearly two faces that have been kind of stitched together. Um, yeah. Pretty pretty good look. They preserve that, that sort of iconic character, I thought, in this one. The manager, LG, returns. And again, this is... What, what the fuck are you to Chop Top? And he just mm. says, lick my plate, you dog dick. <laughs> just cracking line. Again, there's lots of Leatherface like thrusting his chainsaw like it was a dick. Something that was perhaps more subtle in the original <laughs> film, uh, now uh, now amplified. Yeah, there's some sort of... I felt a lot of it was like phone sex dialogue when she was talking, mm. but not actually about sex. Right. It was uh, very odd. So they end up all sort of uh, back at the lair of the, of the cannibal family. Which is sort of a, a local um, a battle reenactment. Sort of um, Dennis Hopper turns up again here, and um, he says, "Here, take my hand," and extends like a corpse hand. She takes it, and it falls to pieces, and she goes goes inside. Dennis Hopper here, not not uh, not for the last time, chainsaws up, <laughs> um, basically, and we get the first of many sequences, which is Dennis Hopper screaming incoherently, indiscriminately at at, at walls. Furniture, um, you know, yeah. something like "I'm gonna bring it down." Or, <laughs> yeah, that's it. This is the devil's playground. I read someone's review where they said Dennis Hopper doesn't just chew the scenery; he chainsaws it, <laughs> which he does. I mean, we've seen him do this before. He's returning to the show here. There's a fun scene where Leatherface has an electric knife that he's using instead of a chainsaw, and he's uh, skinning um, LG, the manager of the station. Again, Stretch tries to appeal to Leatherface, tries to appeal to his more sort of sympathetic nature. He removes LG's face and puts it on her, which is quite weird. Then he puts LG's hat on her and they have a bit of a dance. So this is maybe another Ed Gein reference, yeah. you know, dancing in the in the pale moonlight with the with the corpses. Um, but she she's basically wearing the skin and hat of a of a cowboy. But unfortunately, shortly afterwards, LG wakes up without any skin on his face or arms or much of his body, which obviously is quite distressing. So this guy wakes up to see someone else wearing his face. Well, it's kind of creepy. Yeah, it's quite a good idea. I mean, that would be you know, frustrating. It would quite be... large eye holes in it as well. So it, re- it really droops off of her yeah, face. Yeah, it was... 
She does eventually put his face back on him after he's dead, which is nice of her. We do eventually get, again, this tenuous um, family link is revisited where um, Dennis Hopper discovers the corpse of Franklin from the original film, who was the kid in the wheelchair. You may remember was last seen um, frantically wheeling his way through the through the woods at night and then Leatherface chainsaws him in yeah. the guts. Well, he's pretty much still doing that. He's in, still in his wheelchair. He's still clutching a torch. The torch is still on. It's 12 years. Just to make sure you got the, the connection. That, that's that's Franklin here. And, you know, Dennis Hopper's like, oh, Franklin, my poor Franklin. He's his brother or his son or something like that. I don't know. Uh, the family eventually catch Stretch. And again, they do a bit of a redo of the family dinner scene from the first film. Uh, Grandpa comes out again, like he did in the first film. Yeah, pretty much... The ending is pretty much the same, I would say, as yeah. the first film, which is a bit of a shame. Tease Leatherface, he's got a crush that stretches his girlfriend. And famous quote here from the cook, who says that the saw is family, <laughs> which I've heard quite a lot. Yeah. seen a lot on t-shirts as well. Mm-hmm. And eventually Lefty interrupts here. And uh, this is the main event of the film, really, the bit I remember always most fondly, is the chainsaw fight between Dennis Hopper and Leatherface. Oh, yeah. So this is Leatherface with his normal chainsaw. This is Dennis Hopper with a chainsaw and with two handheld chainsaws um, having this sort of duel. He impales uh, Leatherface through the guts, but a carry on <laughs> with his handheld chainsaws. Someone throws a hammer here. I think Grandpa's hammer gets thrown at someone's head. Cook gets chainsawed as well. It's all kicking off. A hand grenade explodes. And then Stretch gets chased up onto a sort of tower. Chopped up ends up flying off the tower. And uh, she does the, the chainsaw dance that Leatherface did at the end of the first film. Yeah. And there's a, a real, like, manic kind of uh, zoom out as she's, like, whizzing the chainsaw around <laughs> on the tower. And that's it. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. What were your overall thoughts on this and, and how does it compare to the original? It was good. I, I didn't know what to expect because um, I, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't even know it was going to be like a spoofy kind of yeah. slightly comedy-ish version. I just expected it to be like another horror, but just not as good. I mean, it's not as good, obviously. <laughs> no. um, but I mean, do um, at least go a different direction. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it was interesting that it was kind of spoofy and um, yeah, I, I liked uh, the uh, having Dennis Hoffer in there. Yeah, um, he uh, he was pretty mental. I mean, this is the same year that um, Blue Velvet was released. He was, yeah, he yeah. played a pretty uh, he's getting the crazy reputation. character in that. Yeah. So. I think Dennis Hopper did say after this film was released that this was the worst film he'd ever done until Super Mario Brothers, <laughs> uh, which we reviewed in the archives, yeah. in which he said that was the worst film he'd ever done. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure which one he favours, um, but he did what he was meant to do in this. He, he fucking yelled and went on a coke fueled sort of chainsaw bender, which I think is what he was meant to do, really. So yeah. And the, uh, the character, who's the guy that's got the plate in his head? What's his name? Chop Top. Yeah. Mm. He's, uh, it's not a memorable line, but it is if you know the Primus song. He goes, Dog Will Hunt. Yes. And that's in... Uh, mm-hmm. That's halfway through Jerry was a race car driver by Primus and I didn't know what that was from until I watched ah, this last there you night. Go. So yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it is it is intended to be more of a black comedy and a spoof of the original film, which is a better way to approach it, but still comes off at, uh, at times as just a, a poor poor sort of imitation, but yeah. yeah, they do try and do something different with it, and I, I appreciate that as well. So there we are, the uh, the Canon Toby Hooper trilogy of films from uh, 1985 to 1986. 
I actually read that um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 was shot in June to be released in August, <laughs> which is wow. insane. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's I think, two months after Invaders from Mars was released. So yeah. Toby Hooper has to have been on a shit ton of drugs to just get through 1985 to 1986. He was busy. So, Mark, if you had to jettison two of these films into <laughs> outer space in some sort of phallic member <laughs> to keep one in some sort of cannibal underground lair could be enjoyed for years to come <laughs> which two would you jettison and which one would you uh, preserve perhaps in a nice chili um <laughs> i'd definitely get rid of uh invaders yeah that's close between the other two probably life force mm-hmm. yeah <clears throat> just about takes everything from uh, texas chainsaw massacre 2 is like part of a more classic <clears throat> Thing. Yeah. Um, so it has that kind of value to it, and it has Dennis Hopper in it. But yeah. I felt like um, Life Force was funnier and a bit more schlocky in the <clears throat> best kind of way, yeah. as opposed to like more Invaders, in- which was just. Meh. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree with that. That sort of ordering uh, Invaders is kind of pretty boring and just hideously acted and then you have that twist which kind of invalidates it straight away against the other two Texas Chainsaw was a schlocky cheesy movie but they were also trying to be a bit kind of clever and do a spoof as well but ended up falling into a bit of a a trap of sort of re retreading what they'd already done so I think Life Force in terms of being Mm. super ambitious in what they were trying to get across in one in the space of one film but also being inept so that none of it really worked is just the perfect combination and makes I think Life Force one of the the best kind of bad movies of all time I'd, I'd say in its in its schlockiness. Bad movies are born when sort of high ambition meets low ability. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's and that's exactly what it is. It's it's someone wanting and Toby Hooper is not like he is of course a talented director but um perhaps he was given too much um, with this he was given 25 million dollars and said do whatever you want (laughs) so he tried to squeeze in aliens vampires you know religious connotations the apocalypse zombies viruses life force could be three films on its own Um, he didn't need to do (laughs) these three Um, so of course Toby Hooper is is talented but um, I think the ambition far outweighed the abilities of of the the actors certainly and the and the, the people involved so that's what makes life force a great film and i think the best of the canon uh, hooper trilogy so mm-hmm. everyone should go check that one out if you don't already know it I'm sure you do if you're listening to this but recommendations in terms of these films there are other texas chainsaw sequels none of them are really good um it only gets worse from sec from the second one onwards um the texas chainsaw massacre 4 is one of the worst pieces of shit I've ever seen. It's um, it's called The Next Generation, so you already know it's going to be fucking awful. How many are there? Um, including reboots and remakes and sequels to the remakes, probably around uh, 10 or so. Mm. But uh, number four stars Matthew McConaughey and Rene Zellweger, who both refused to uh, acknowledge they were ever in this, in this <laughs> film. They want it stricken from the record. Well, I'm sorry, you can't. Um, Rene Zellweger is awful and wooden as she often is and Matthew McConaughey is going fucking berserk even more berserk than Dennis Hopper in the Texas Chainsaw 4 um, he's just screaming at inanimate objects 
like in Bruges, you know, you're an inanimate <laughs> fucking yeah. object. Yeah, just Ma- Matthew McConaughey in that film is just fucking insane. Um, sometimes he's good, sometimes he's not, and that's one of the worst examples. So I think I've seen the um, <clears throat> the remake that was came out in about two thousand and yeah, the remake's pretty good. Um, it was alright. They had like the drill sergeant from Full Metal Jacket in it, and and Jessica Biel yeah. and stuff like that. There's some you know some okay kind of casting. Even though they were produced by Michael Bay, they still still turned out all right. <laughs> it was when Michael Bay was determined to remake every every seventies horror film ever and destroy everything. Um, yeah, just ruin everyone's good time. <laughs> um, so yeah, there are a lot of Texas Chainsaw uh, films out there, but one and two are, are definitely the best. Um, there's not really anything else like Life Force, uh, so I can't <laughs> recommend anything like that. That's Ob- why it's the best of the yeah, three. Obviously, <laughs> Alien. If you know, you should check that out. Alien and Aliens have similar themes. Um, lots of the Hammer vampire films. Yeah, like I say, if you smash together Alien and like the Brides of Dracula, it's probably how you get Life Force in a way. Mm. And Invaders from Mars, like check out the remake of Body Snatchers, remake of The Thing, remake of The Fly. They're all way way better than Invaders from Mars and better than the films that they were the remakes of. So any any sort of seventies or eighties remake of a fifties sci-fi film is usually pretty awesome. And Invaders is the the exception to that, really. So yeah, if uh, you want to let us know what you thought of any of these films or make any recommendations for us to do any other films, you can get in touch on uh, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Schlock Tactics. And we have had a little bit of feedback on Instagram. So uh, Customers Also Watched, um, which is another another podcast that reviews uh, bad movies, <laughs> one, one, of our, uh, one of our compatriots. <laughs> Um, they commented and said, I love Life Force. Great blend of horror, sci-fi and apocalyptic action. One of Hooper's best, in my opinion. Mm. And I think we've we've agreed with that. And uh, I think they've, they've nailed it there. And that he was trying to combine probably a lot more genres than he should have. Um, <laughs> perhaps he thought he was never going to make a film again. Because <laughs> uh, he, 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 he didn't leave To any, pack it all into this. Uh, he left nothing on the table. You yeah. know, it, it all went in there. So, uh, yeah. Uh, agreed life forces uh, brilliant bad film uh, so yeah if you want any of your comments read out uh, on the next episode get in touch with us uh, you can also subscribe and anytime we release a new episode you'll be the first to know about it uh, give us a rating on iTunes a 5 star rating if you wouldn't mind and help us to uh, to grow the show a little bit more but that has been another episode of Schlock Tactics my name has been Ash and I'll be joined once again by Mark thanks for listening and we'll see you next time Bye. Bye.